too much away. While the dwarf was gone, he took in more of the room, and his eyes spotted the words, The Coombe Valley Codex, on the spine of a book half-concealed in the paperwork. That bloody valley again, with added weirdness this time. Actually, Sybil had bought a copy, along with most of the reading population of the city, and had dragged him along to look at that poor man's wretched picture in the Royal Art Museum. A painting with secrets? Oh, yes. And how come some mad young human artist a hundred years ago knew the secret of a battle fought thousands of years before? Sybil said that the book claimed he'd found something on the battlefield, but it was haunted, and voices drove him to believe he was a chicken or something. When the mugs were brought in, with just a little spilled on Helm Clever's desk because his hand was shaking, Vimes said, I'm a sea grag ham crusher, sir. I'm sorry, that is not possible. The answer came out flat and level, as if the dwarf had been practising. But there was a flicker in his eyes, and Vimes glanced up at a very large grill in the wall. At this point, Angua gave a little cough. OK, thought Vimes, someone's listening. Mr. Helm, clever, he said. I have reason to suppose that a serious crime has been committed on Ankh-Morpork soil, he added. That is to say, under it but ank more porks anyway. Once again, Helm Clever's strange calm gave him away. There was a hunted look in his eyes. I'm sorry to hear it. How may I assist you to solve it? Oh, well, thought Vimes, I did say I don't play games. By showing me the dead body you have downstairs, he said. He was obscenely pleased at the way Helm Clever deflated. Time to press home. He took out his badge. My authority, Mr. Helmclever. I will search this place. I would prefer to do so with your permission. The dwarf was trembling, with fear or anxiety, or probably both. You will invade our premises. You cannot. Dwarf law. This is ank Morpork, said Vimes. All the way to the top, all the way to the bottom. Invasion is not the issue. Are you really telling me I cannot search a basement? Now take me to Grag Hamcrusher, or whoever is in charge, now. I, I, I refuse your request. It wasn't a request. And now we reach our own little Coombe Valley, Vimes thought, as he stared into Helm Clever's eyes. No backing down. We both think we're right, but he's wrong. A movement made him glance down. Helm Clever's trembling finger had teased out the spilled coffee into a circle. As Vimes stared, the dwarf's fingers drew two lines across the circle. He looked back up, his eyes bulging with anger, fear, and just a hint of something else. Ah, Commander Vimes, is it? said a figure in the doorway. It might have been Lord Vetinari speaking. It was that same level tone indicating that he had noticed you, and you were, in some small way, a necessary chore but it was coming from another dwarf, presumably, although he wore a rigid pointed black hood which brought him up to the height of the average human. Elsewhere he was completely shrouded, and that was a well-chosen word, in overlapping black leather scales, with just a narrow slit for the eyes. Were it not for the quiet authority of the voice, the figure in front of Vimes could be mistaken for a very sombre hogswatch decoration. "'And you are?' said Vimes. My name is Ardent, Commander. Helm Clever, go about your chores. As the daylight face scuttled off at speed, Vimes turned in his seat and allowed his hand to brush across the sticky symbol, wiping it out. And do you want to be helpful too? he said. If I can be, said the dwarf, please follow me. It would be preferable if the sergeant did not accompany you. Why? The obvious reason, said Ardent. She is openly female. What? So? Sergeant Angua is very definitely not a dwarf, said Vimes. You can't expect everyone to conform to your rules. Why not? said the dwarf. You do. But could we just, together, for a moment, proceed to my office and discuss matters? I'll be fine, sir, said Angua. It's probably the best way. Vimes tried to relax. He knew he was letting himself get steamed up, 
Those silent watchers in the street had got through to him, and the look he'd gotten from Helmclever needed some thinking about. But no, he said. You will not make that small concession. I am already making several big ones, believe me, said Vimes. The hidden eyes under the pointy cowl stared at him for a few seconds. Very well, said Ardent. Please follow me. The dwarf turned and opened a door behind him, stepping into a small square room. He beckoned them to follow, and when they were inside, pulled a lever. The room shook gently, and the walls began to rise. This is, Ardent began, an elevator, said Vimes. Yes, I know. I saw them when I met the low king in Uberwald. The dropping of the name did not work. The low king is not respected here, said Ardent. I thought he was the ruler of all dwarfs, said Vimes. A common misconception. Ah, we have arrived. The elevator stopped with barely a jerk. Vimes stared. Ankh-Morpork was built on Ankh-Morpork. Everyone knew that. They had been building with stone here ten thousand years ago. As the annual flooding of the Ankh brought more silt, so the city had risen on its wall until attics had become cellars. Even at basement level today, it was always said, a man with a pickaxe and a good sense of direction could cross the city by knocking his way through underground walls, provided he could also breathe mud. What had this place been? A palace? The temple of a god who'd subsequently slipped everyone's memory? It was a big space, dark as soot, but there was a glow that managed to show beautiful vaulting in the roof above. A strange glow. Varums, said Ardent, from the deep caves in the mountains around Chlamedos. We brought them with us, and they breed very fast here. They find your silt quite nourishing. I am sure they shine more, too. The glow moved. It did not illuminate much, but it showed the shape of things, and it was heading toward the elevator, flowing over the wonderful ceiling. They head for heat and movement even now, said the hooded dwarf. Uh, why? Ardent gave a little laugh. In case you die, Commander, they think you are some rat or small deer that has tumbled into their cave. Nourishment is rare in the deeps. Every breath you exhale is food, and when eventually you expire, they will uh, descend. They are very patient. They will leave nothing but bones. I was not intending to expire here, said Vimes. "'Of course not. Follow me, please,' said Ardent, leading them past a big round door. There were more doors on the other side of the room and several gaping tunnel mouths. "'How far down are we?' "'Not far, about forty feet. We are good at digging.' "'In this city,' said Vimes, "'why aren't we trying to breathe under water? And calling it water is giving it the best of it. "'We are very good at keeping water out, too.' Alas, it appears we are less good at keeping out Samuel Vimes. The dwarf stepped into a smaller room, its ceiling thick with brilliant verms, and motioned to a couple of dwarf-sized chairs. Do sit down. Can I offer you refreshment? No, thank you, said Vimes. He sat down gingerly on a chair that brought his knees up almost to his chin. Ardent sat down behind a small desk made of stone slabs, and to Vimes's amazement, took off his headgear. He looked quite young, with a beard that was actually trimmed. Angua watched him, breathing slowly. "'How far do all these tunnels run?' Vimes said. "'I don't propose to tell you,' said Ardent levelly. "'So you're undermining my city?' "'Oh, Commander! You've been to the caves in Uberwald. You've seen how dwarfs can build. We are craftsmen. Do not think that your house is about to collapse.' "'But you're not just building basements. You're mining,' said Vimes. "'In a sense. We would say we are mining for holes. Space Commander is what we are digging for. Yes, we are mining for holes. Although our bores have found deep treacle, you'll be interested to hear. You can't do this. Can we not? But we are doing it nevertheless,' said Ardent calmly. You are burrowing under people's property. Rabbits burrow, Commander. We dig, and yes, we are. How far down does ownership go after all, and how far up? 
Vimes looked at the dwarf. Calm down, he thought. You can't deal with this. This is too big. It's something for veterinary to decide. Stick to what you know. Stick to what you can deal with. I'm investigating reports of a death, he said. Yes, Grag Hamcrusher. A terrible misfortune, said Ardent, with a calmness that was enraging. I've heard it was a vicious murder. That would be a fair description. You admit it, said Vimes. I'll choose to assume that by that you mean, do I admit there has been a murder, Commander? Yes, there has, and we are dealing with it. How? We are discussing the appointment of a Zadkradga, said Ardent, folding his hands. That is, one who smelts, one who finds the pure ore of truth in the dross of confusion. Discussing? Have you sealed off the scene of the crime yet? The smelter may order that, Commander, but we already know that the crime was committed by a troll. Ardent's face now bore an expression of amused contempt that Vimes longed to remove. He said, How do you know this? Was it witnessed? Not as such, but a troll's club was found besides the body, said the dwarf. And that's all you have to go on, Vimes stood up. I've had enough of this. Sergeant Angua. Sir, said Angua beside him, let's go. We're going to find the murder scene while there's still any clues left to find. You have no business in the lower areas, snapped Ardent, standing up. How are you going to stop me? How are you going to get past locked doors? How are you going to find out who murdered Hamcrusher? I told you, a troll's club was found. And that's it? We found a club so a troll did it? Is anyone going to believe that? You're prepared to start a war in my city with a piece of flim-flam like that? Because, believe me, that's what's going to happen when this gets out. Try it, and I'll arrest you. And start a war in your city, said Ardent. Dwarf and man glared at one another while they caught their breath. On the ceiling above them, worms congregated, feasting on spittle and rage. Why would anyone but a troll strike down the grag, said Ardent. Good. You're asking questions, Vimes leaned across the desk. If you really want answers, unlock those doors. No, you cannot go down there, blackboard monitor Vimes. The dwarf could not have put more venom in the words child murderer. Vimes stared. Blackboard monitor. Well, he had been, in that little street school more than forty-five years ago. Mum had insisted. Gods knew where she'd sprung the penny a day it cost, although most of the time Dame Slightly had been happy to accept payment in old clothes and firewood, or preferably gin. Numbers, letters, weights, measures. It was not what you'd call a rich curriculum. Vimes had attended for nine months or so, until the streets demanded he learn much harder and sharper lessons. But for a while he'd been trusted to hand out the slates and clean the blackboard. Oh, the heady, strutting power of it when you're six years old. Do you deny it, said Ardent. You destroy written words. You admit it as much to the Lul King in Uberwald. It was a joke, said Vimes. Oh, then you do deny it. What? No. He was impressed by my titles, and I just threw that one in for fun. Then you deny the crime, Ardent persisted. Crime? I cleaned the blackboard so that new things could be written on it. How is that a crime? You did not care where those words went, said Ardent. Care? They were just chalk dust. Ardent sighed and rubbed his eyes. Busy night, said Vimes. Commander, I understand that you were young and may not have realized what you were doing— but you must understand that to us you appear to be proud of being complicit in the most heinous of crimes, the destruction of words. Sorry, rubbing out A is for apple is a capital crime, one that would be unthinkable for a true dwarf, said Ardent. Really? But I have the trust of the low king himself, said Vimes. So I understand. There are six venerable grags below us, Commander, and in their eyes the low king and his kind have strayed from the true seam. 
He is, Ardent rattled off a sentence, in staccato dwarfish, too fast for Vimes to catch it, and then translated, Wishy-washy, dangerously liberal, shallow, he has seen the light. Ardent was watching him carefully. Think hard. From what Vimes could remember, the low king and his circle had been pretty crusty types. But these people think they're soppy liberals. Wishy-washy, he said. Indeed. I invite you, therefore, to derive from that statement something of the nature of those I serve below. Ah, thought Vimes, there's something there, just a hint. Friend Ardent is a thinker. When you say he has seen the light, you sound as if you mean corrupted, he said. Something like that, yes. Different worlds, Commander. Down here it would be unwise to trust your metaphors. To see the light is to be blinded. Do you not know that in the darkness the eyes open wider? Take me to see these people down below, said Vimes. They will not listen to you. They will not even look at you. They have nothing to do with the world above. They believe it is a kind of bad dream. I have not dared tell them about your newspapers, printed every day and discarded like rubbish. The shock would kill them. But dwarfs invented the printing engine, Vimes thought. Obviously they were the wrong kind of dwarf. I've seen Cheery throw stuff in a wastepaper basket, too. It seems like nearly all dwarfs are the wrong sort, eh? What exactly is your job, Mr. Ardent? said Vimes. I am their chief liaison with the world above. The steward, you could say. I thought that was Helmclever's job. Helmclever? He orders the groceries, relays my orders, pays the miners, and so on. The chores, in fact, said Ardent disdainfully. He is a novice, and his job is to do what I tell him. It is I who speak to the Grags. You talk to bad dreams on their behalf. You could put it that way, I suppose. They would not let a proud word-killer become a smelter. The idea would be abominable. They glared at one another. Once again we end up in Coombe Valley, Vimes told himself. They won't— Permission to make a suggestion, said Angua quietly. Two heads turned. Two mouths said, well, The smelter, the seeker of the truth, must they be a dwarf? Of course, said Ardent. Then what about Captain Carrot? He's a dwarf. We know of him. He is an anomaly, said Ardent. His claim to dwarfishness is debatable. But most dwarfs in the city accept that he's a dwarf, said Angua. And he's a copper, too. Ardent flopped back into his seat. To your dwarfs here, yes, he is a dwarf. He would be unacceptable to the Grags. There's no dwarf law that says a dwarf can't be more than six feet tall, sir. The Grags are the law, woman. Ardent snapped. They interpret laws that go back for tens of thousands of years. Well, ours don't, said Vimes. But murder is murder anywhere. The news has got out. You've already got the dwarfs and the trolls simmering nicely, and this will bring it all right to the boil. Do you want a war? With the trolls? That is no. With the city. A place inside the walls where the law doesn't run? His lordship won't accept that one. You would not dare, said the dwarf. Look into my eyes, said Vimes. There are far more dwarfs than there are watchmen, said Ardent, but the amused expression had fled. So what you are telling me is that law is just a matter of numbers, said Vimes, standing up. I thought you dwarfs practically worshipped the idea of law. Is numbers all it is? I'll swear in more men, then, trolls, too. They're citizens just like me. Are you sure every dwarf is on your side? I'll raise the regiments. I'll have to. I know how things are run in Flamedos and Uberwald, but they are not run like that here. One law, Mr. Ardent, that's what we've got. If I let people slam their front door on it, I might as well shut down a watch. Vimes walked to the doorway. That's my offer. Now I'm going back to the yard. Wait! Ardent sat, staring at the desktop, drumming his fingers on it. I do not have 
seniority here,' he said. "'Let me talk to your grags. I promise to rub out no words. No, they will not talk to you. They do not talk to humans.' They are waiting below. They had word of your arrival. They are frightened. They do not trust humans. Why? Because you are not dwarfs, said Ardent. Because you are a sort of bad dream. Vimes put his hand on the dwarf's shoulder. Then let's go downstairs, where you can talk to them about nightmares, he said, and you can point out which one is me. There was a long silence until Ardent said, "'Very well. This is under protest, you understand.' "'I'll be happy to make a note of that,' said Vimes. "'Thank you for your cooperative attitude,' he added. Ardent stood up and produced a ring of complex keys from his robes. Vimes tried to keep track of the journey, but it was hard— there were twists and turns in dim tunnels that seemed all alike. There was not a trace of water anywhere. How far did the tunnels go? How far down? How far out? Dwarfs mined through granite. They could probably stroll through river mud. In fact, in most places the dwarfs hadn't so much mined as cleaned house, taking away the silt, tunnelling from one ancient dripping room to another, and somehow the water went away. There were things glittering, possibly magical, half seen in dark archways as they passed, and odd chanting. He knew dwarfish, in a the-axe-of-my-aunt-is-in-your-head kind of way, and it didn't sound like that at all. It sounded like short words rattled out at very high speed. And with every turn he felt the anger coming back. They were being led in circles, weren't they? For no reason other than peak. Ardent forged ahead, leaving Vimes to blunder along behind and occasionally bump his head. His temper was bubbling. This was nothing more than a bloody runaround. The dwarf didn't care about the law, about him, about the world above. They undermine our city, and they don't obey our laws. There had been a damned murder. He admits it. Why am I putting up with this... this stupid play-acting? He was passing yet another tunnel mouth, but this one had a piece of board nailed across it. He pulled out his sword, yelled, I wonder what's down here? smashed the board, and set off down the tunnel with Angua following. "'Is this wise, sir?' she whispered as they plunged along. "'No, but I've had it up to ill, Mr. Ardent,' Vimes growled. "'I'll tell you, another twisty tunnel, and I'll be back here with the heavy mob, politics or not.' "'Calm down, sir.' "'Well, everything he says and does is an insult. Makes my blood boil,' said Vimes, striding onwards, and ignoring the shouts of Ardent behind him. "'There's a door ahead, sir. All right, I'm not blind. Just half-blind,' Vimes snapped. He reached out. The big round door had a wheel in its centre, and dwarf runes chalked all over it. "'Can you read them, Sergeant?' "'Erd, mortal danger, flooding, no entry,' said Angua. "'More or less, sir. They're pressure doors. I've seen these used before in other mines.' "'Chained shut, too,' said Vimes, reaching out. "'Looks like solid iron. Ow!' "'Sir?' "'Gash my hand on a nail!' Vimes rammed his hand into a pocket where, without fail, Sybil saw to it that a clean handkerchief was lodged on a daily basis. "'A nail? In an iron door, sir?' said Angua, looking closely. "'A rivet, then. Can't see a thing in this gloom. Why, they—' "'You must follow me. This is a mine. There are dangers!' said Ardent, catching up with them. "'You still get flooding?' said Vimes. "'It is to be expected. We know how to cope. Now stay close to me.' "'I'll be more inclined to do that, sir, if I thought we were taking a direct route,' said Vimes. "'Otherwise I might look for shortcuts.' "'We are nearly there, Commander,' said Ardent, walking away. "'Nearly there!' Aimless and hopeless, the troll wandered. His name was Brick, although currently he couldn't remember this. His head ached. It really ached. "'It was the scrape that did it. What did they always say?' When you sink into where you was cooking up scrape, you were so low, even the cockroaches had to bend down to spit on you. Last night, what had been happening? What bits did he see? What bits did he do? What bits in the thumping, scalding cauldron of his brain were real? The bit with the giant woolly elephants, they probably weren't real. He was pretty sure there weren't any giant woolly elephants in this city, because if there were, he would have seen them before, and there'd be big steaming turds in the streets and similar. You wouldn't miss them. 
He was called Brick because he'd been born in the city, and trolls, being made of metamorphorical rock, often take on the nature of the local rocks. His hide was a dirty orange with a network of horizontal and vertical lines. If Brick stood up close to a wall, he was quite hard to see. But most people didn't see Brick anyway. He was the kind of person whose mere existence is an affront to common decency. That mine with them dwarfs, was that real? You go and find a place to lie down and watch the pretty pictures. Suddenly you're in this dwarf hole. That couldn't have been real. Only word on the street was that some troll had got into a dwarf hole, yeah, and everyone was looking for that troll and not to shake him by the hand. The word said the Breccia wanted to find out real hard, and by the sound of it they was not happy. Not happy that some dwarf who'd been put into bad word on the cleanse was offed by a troll. Were they mad? Actually, it didn't matter if they was mad or not, because they had ways of asking questions that didn't heal for months. So, he better be keeping out of their way. On the other hand, a dwarf wouldn't know one troll from another, right? And no one else had seen him, so... Act normal, right? He'd be fine. He'd be fine. Anyway, it couldn't have been him. It occurred to Brick, yeah, that's my name, knew it all the time, that he still had a bit of the white powder at the bottom of the bag. All he needed to do now was find a startled pigeon and some alcohol, any alcohol at all, and he'd be fine. Yeah, fine. Nothing to worry about at all. Yeah. When Vimes stepped out into the brilliant daylight, the first thing he did was draw a deep breath. The second thing he did was draw his sword, wincing as his sore hand protested. Fresh air, that was the stuff. He'd felt quite dizzy down there, and the tiny cut on his hand itched like mad. He'd better get Igor to take a look at it. You could probably catch anything in the muck down there. Oh, that was better. He could feel himself cooling down. The air down there had made him feel really strange. The crowd was a lot more like a mob now, but he saw at the second glance that it was what he had thought of as a plum-cake mob. It doesn't take many people to turn a worried, anxious crowd into a mob. A shout here, a shove there, something thrown here, and with care every hesitant, nervous individual is being drawn into a majority that does not, in fact, exist. Detritus was still standing like a statue, apparently oblivious to the growing din. But Ring found a... damn. He was arguing hotly with people at the front of the crowd. You never argued. You never got drawn in. Corporal Ring Founder, he bellowed, to me. The dwarf turned as a half-brick sailed over the heads of the mob and clanged off his helmet. He went over like a tree. Detritus moved so fast that he was halfway through the crowd before the dwarf hit the cobbles. His arm dipped into the press of bodies and hauled up a struggling figure. He spun around, thudded back through the gap that hadn't had time to close yet, and was beside Vimes before Ringfounder's helmet had stopped rolling. "'Well done, Sergeant,' said Vimes, out of the corner of his mouth. "'Did you have a plan for the next bit?' "'Uh, I'm more to tacticals kind, sir,' said Detritus. "'Oh, well. At times like this you didn't argue, and you didn't step back.' Vimes pulled out his badge and held it up. "'This dwarf is under arrest for assaulting a watch officer.' he shouted. Let us through in the name of the law. And to his amazement, the crowd went quiet, like a lot of children when they sense that this time the teacher is really, really angry. Perhaps it was the words on the badge, he thought. You couldn't rub them out. In the silence, another half-brick dropped out of the free hand of the dwarf in detritus, very solid custody. Years later, Vimes would shut his eyes and still be able to recall the crunch it made when it hit the ground. Angua stood up, with the unconscious ring-founder in her arms. "'He's concussed,' she said. "'And I suggest, sir, that you turn around just for a moment.' Vimes risked a glance. Ardent, or at least a leather-shrouded dwarf that could have been him, was standing in the shadows of the doorway. He had the attention of the crowd. "'We're being allowed to go,' he said to Angua, nodding to the figure. "'I think the going is the thing, sir, don't you?' "'You've got that right, Sergeant. Detritus, keep a grip on that little bugger.' Back to the nick, all of us. The crowd parted to let them through with barely a murmur. The silence followed them all the way back to the watchhouse, where Otto Treek of the Times was waiting in the street, iconograph at the ready. Oh, no, you don't, Otto, said Vimes as his squad approached. I'm standing on the public highway, Mr. Vimes, said Otto meekly. Smile, please. And he took a picture of a troll officer holding a dwarf up in the air. Oh, well, said Vimes to himself. That's page one sorted out and probably the bloody cartoon too.
one dwarf in the cells, one in the tender loving care of Igor, Vimes thought as he trudged up the stairs to his office. And it's only going to get worse. Those dwarfs were obeying Ardent, weren't they? What would they have done if they had done if the dwarf had shaken his head? He landed in his chair so hard it rolled back a foot. He'd met deep-down dwarfs before. They'd been weird, but he'd been able to deal with them. The low king was a deep-downer, and Vimes had got on with him well enough, once you accepted that the fairy-tale dwarf in the hogfather beard was an astute politician. He was a dwarf with vision. He dealt with the world. <laughs> he'd seen the light. But those in the new mine... He hadn't seen them, even though they were sitting in a room made brilliant with the light of hundreds of candles. That seemed odd, since the Grags themselves were completely shrouded in their pointy black leather. But maybe it was some mystic ceremony, and who'd look for sense there? Maybe you got a lot more holy dark in the midst of light. The brighter the light, the blacker the shadow. Ardent had spoken in a language that sounded like dwarfish, and out of the dark hoods had come answers and questions, all barked out in the same harsh, brief syllables. At one point, Vimes was asked to repeat the meat of his statement made up above, which had seemed too far away now. He'd done so, and there'd been a long, drawn-out discussion in what he'd come to think of as deep dwarf. And all the time he felt that eyes he could not see were watching him very hard indeed. It didn't help that his head had been aching like mad, and there were shooting pains going up and down his arm. And that was it. Had they understood him? He didn't know. Ardent had said that they agreed with considerable reluctance. Had they? He hadn't a clue, not a clue, to what had really been said. Would Carrot be given access to a crime scene that had not been interfered with in any way? Vimes grunted. <laughs> what do you think, boys and girls? He pinched the bridge of his nose, and then stared at his right hand. Igor had gone on at length about tiny, invisible, biting creatures, and used some vicious ointment that probably killed anything of any size or visibility. It had stung like seven hells for five minutes, but the sting had gone, and seemed to have taken the pain with it. Anyway, what mattered was that the watch was officially on this case. His eye was caught by the top sheet of paperwork in his in-tray. Vimes maintained three trays, in, out, and shake it all about. The last one was where he put everything he was too busy, angry, tired, or bewildered to do anything about. He groaned as he picked it up. To His Grace Sir Samuel Vimes, Commander of the Watch From Mr. A. E. Pessimal, Inspector of the Watch Your Grace I hope you will not mind giving me as soon as possible the answers to the following questions. 1. What is Corporal Nobby Nobs for? Why did you employ a known petty thief? 2. I timed two officers in Broadway earlier, and in the space of one hour they made no arrests. Why was this an economic use of their time? 3. The level of violence used by troll officers against troll prisoners appears excessive. Could you please comment upon this? and so on. Vimes read on with his mouth open. All right, the man wasn't a copper, definitely not, but surely he had a fully functional brain. Oh, good grief, he'd even spotted the monthly discrepancy in the petty cash box. Would A. E. Pessimal understand if Vimes explained that Nobby's services over the years more than made up for the casual petty theft, which you accepted as a kind of mild nuisance? Would that be an economic use of my time? I think not. As he put the paper back in the tray, he spotted a sheet underneath in Cheery's handwriting. He picked it up and read it. Two dwarfs and one troll had handed in their badges this morning, citing family reasons. Damn! That was seven officers lost this week. Bloody Coombe Valley, it got everywhere. Oh, it couldn't be fun, heavens knew, being a troll holding the line against a bunch of your fellow trolls and defending a dwarf like the late Ham Crusher. It probably wasn't any funnier being a dwarf, hearing that some troll street gang beat up your brother because of what that idiot had said. Some people would be asking, whose side are you on? If you're not with us, you're against us. <laughs> if you're not an apple, you're a banana. Carrot came in quietly and placed a plate on the desk. Angua told me all about it, he said. Well done, sir. What do you mean, well done, said Vimes, looking at his healthy sandwich lunch. I nearly started a war. Ah, but they didn't know you were bluffing. Well, probably wasn't. Vimes carefully lifted the top of the bacon, lettuce, and tomato sandwich and smiled inwardly. Good old Cheery. 
She knew what a Vimes BLT was all about. It was about having to lift up quite a lot of crispy bacon before you found the miserable skulking vegetables. You might never notice them at all. I want you to take Angua down there with you again, he said. And, yes, Lance Constable von Humperding, our little Sally. Just the job for a vampire who fortuitously has arrived in the nick of time, eh? Let's see how good she is. Just those two, sir? Eh, uh, yes. They both have very good night vision, yes? Vimes looked down at his sandwich and mumbled, We can't take any artificial lights down there. A murder investigation in the dark, sir? I had no choice, said Vimes hotly. I know a sticking point when I see one, Captain. No artificial light. Well, if they want to play silly buggers, I'm their boy. You know about mines, and both the ladies have got night vision built in. Well, the vampire has, and Angua can practically see with her nose, so that's it. Do the best you can. The place is full of those damn glow beetles. They should help. They've got worms, said Carrot. Oh, well, I know some tricks there, sir. Good. They say a big troll did it and ran away. Make of that what you will. There might be some protests about Sally, sir, said Carrot. Why? Will they spot she's a vampire? No, sir. I don't think they— Then don't tell em, said Vimes. You're the smelter. It's up to you what uh, tools you use. Seen this? He waved the report about the three officers he was trying not to think of as deserters. Yes, sir. I was meaning to talk to you about that. It might help if we change the patrols a bit, said Carrot. How do you mean? Er, uh, it would be quite easy to arrange the patrol schedules so that trolls and dwarfs don't have to go on the beat together, sir. Um, some of the lads say they'd be a bit happier if we could... Carrot let the sentence die away in the stony glare. We've never paid any attention to an officer's species when we do the roster, Captain, said Vimes coldly, except for the gnomes, of course. There's your precedent, then, Carrot began. Don't be daft. A typical gnome room is about twice the size of a shoebox, Captain. Look, you can see this idea is nuts, dangerous nuts, too. We'd have to patrol troll with troll, dwarf with dwarf, and human with human. Not necessarily, sir. Humans could patrol with either of the others. Vimes rocked his chair forward. No, they couldn't. This is not about common sense. This is about fear. If a troll sees a dwarf and a human patrolling together, he'll think, there's the enemy, two against one. Can't you see where this is going? When a copper's in a tight corner and blows his whistle for backup, I don't want him demanding that when it arrives it's the right damn shape. He calmed down a little, opened his notebook and tossed it onto the desk. And talking of shapes, do you know what this means? I spotted it in the mine, and a dwarf called Helmclever scrawled it with some spilt coffee, and you know what? I think he was only half aware that he'd done it. Carrot picked up the notebook and regarded the sketch solemnly for a moment. Mine sign, sir, he said. It means the following dark. And what does that mean? Er, uh, that things are pretty bad down there, sir, said Carrot earnestly. Oh, dear. He put the notebook down slowly, as if half afraid that it might explode. Well, there has been a murder, Captain, Vimes pointed out. Yes, sir, but this might mean something worse, sir. Mine sign is a very strange phenomenon. There was a sign like it over the door, only there was just one line, and it was horizontal, Vimes added. Oh, that'd be the long dark rune, sir, said Carrot dismissively. It's just a symbol for a mine, nothing to worry about. But this other one is? Is it anything to do with Grag sitting in a room surrounded by lighted candles? It was always nice to surprise Carrot, and this time he looked amazed. How did you work that out, sir? It's only words, Captain, said Vimes, waving a hand. The following dark doesn't sound good. Time to stay brightly lit, maybe? When I met them, they were surrounded by candles. I thought maybe it was some kind of ceremony. Could be, Carrot agreed carefully. Thank you for this, sir. I'll go prepared. As Carrot reached the door, Vimes added, "'One thing, Captain.' "'Yes, sir?' Vimes didn't look up from the sandwich, from which he was daintily separating the L and the T from the crispy B. "'Just remember you're a copper, will you?' Sally knew something was up as soon as she got back into the locker room, in her shiny new breastplate and soup bowl helmet. Coppers of various species were standing around, trying to look nonchalant. Coppers are never any good at this at all. They watched as she approached her locker. She opened the door, therefore, with due care. 
the shelf was full of garlic. Ah, it starts, and so soon, too, just as well she'd been prepared. Here and there behind her she heard the faint coughs and throat clearings of people trying not to laugh, and there was smirking going on. A smirk makes a subtle noise if you're listening for it. She reached into the locker with both hands and pulled out two big fat bulbs. All eyes were on her. All coppers were motionless as she walked slowly around the room. The reek of garlic was strong on one young constable, whose big grin was suddenly caked with nervousness at the corners. He had the look about him of the kind of fool who'd do anything for a laugh. "'Excuse me, constable, but what is your name?' she said meekly. "'Er, fitly, miss?' "'Are these from you?' Sally demanded. She let her canines extend just enough to notice. "'Er, only a joke, miss?' "'Nothing funny about it,' said Sally sweetly. "'I like garlic. I love garlic. Don't you?' "'Er, yeah,' said the unhappy fitly. "'Good,' said Sally. With a speed that made him flinch, she rammed a bulb into her mouth and bit down heavily. The crunching was the only sound in the locker room, and then she swallowed. "'Oh, dear, where are my manners, constable?' she said, holding out the other bulb. Oh, "'This one's yours.' Laughter broke out around the room. Coppers are like any other mob. The table's been turned, and this way around it's funnier. It's a bit of a laugh, a bit of fun, no harm done, eh?' "'Come on, fitly,' said someone. "'It's only fair. She ate hers.' And someone else, as someone always does, began to clap and urge, "'Eat! Eat!' Others took it up, encouraged by the fact that fitly had gone bright red. "'Eat! Eat! 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 Eat!' A man without an option fitly grabbed the bulb, forced it into his mouth, and bit it hard, to the accompaniment of cheers. A moment later, Sally saw his eyes widen. "'Lance Constable von Humperding!' She turned, a young man of godlike proportions, oh, the better class of gods anyway, not the ones with the tentacles, obviously, was standing in the doorway. Unlike the armour of the other officers, his breastplate shone and the chainmail was quite devoid of rust. Everything all right? The officer glanced at Fitly, who dropped to his knees and was coughing garlic across the room, but somehow quite failed to see him. Er, fine, sir, said Sally, puzzled as Fitly began to throw up. "'We've met already. Everyone calls me Captain Carrot. Come with me, please.' Out in the main office, Carrot stopped and turned. "'All right, Lance Constable. You had a bulb already prepared, right? Don't look like that. There's a vegetable barrow out in the square today. It's not hard to work out.' "'Er, uh, Sergeant Angua did warn me.' "'So?' "'So I carved the garlic out of a turnip, sir. And the one you gave fitly?' "'Oh, that was a carved turnip, too. I try not to touch garlic, sir,' said Sally. "'Oh, God, this one really was attractive.' "'Really? Turnip? He seemed to take it badly,' said Carrot. "'I put a few fresh chilli seeds in it,' Sally added. "'About thirty, I think.' "'Oh, why did you do that?' "'Oh, you know, sir,' said Sally, radiating innocence. "'A bit of a laugh, a bit of fun. No harm done, eh?' The captain appeared to consider this. "'We'll leave it at that, then,' he said. "'Now, Lance Constable, have you ever seen a dead body?' Sally waited to see if he was serious. Apparently he was. "'Strictly speaking, no, sir,' she said. Vimes fretted through the afternoon. There was, of course, the paperwork. There was always the paperwork. The trays were only the start. Heaps of it were ranged accusingly along one wall and gently merging. Vimes had got round to a clean desk policy. It was a clean floor strategy that eluded him at the moment. He knew that he had to do it. Warrants, dockets, watch orders, signatures. That was what made the watch a police force rather than just a bunch of fairly rough fellows with inquisitive habits. Paperwork. You had to have lots of it, and it had to be signed by him. He signed the arrests book, the occurrences book, even the lost property book. Lost property book? They never had one of those in the old days. If someone turned up complaining that they'd lost some small item, you just held knobby knobs upside down and sorted through what dropped out. But he didn't know two-thirds of the coppers he employed now. Not know, in the sense of knowing when they'd stand and when they'd run, knowing the little giveaways that'd tell him when they were lying or scared witless. It wasn't really his watch anymore. It was the city's watch, 
he just ran it. He went through the station sergeant's reports, the watch officer's reports, the sick reports, the disciplinary reports, the petty cash reports. Daddle-dum, daddle-dum, daddle! Vimes slammed the gooseberry down on the desk and picked up the small loaf of dwarf bread that for the last few years he'd used as a paperweight. Switch off or die, he growled. Now, I can see you're slightly upset, said the imp, looking up at the looming loaf. But could I ask you to look at things from my point of view? This is my job. This is what I am. I am, therefore I think. And I think we could get along famously if you would only read the manu— Please, no. I really could help you. Vimes hesitated in mid-thump and then carefully put down the loaf. How? he said. You've been adding up the numbers wrong, said the imp. You don't always carry the tens. And how would you know that? Vimes demanded. You mutter to yourself, said the imp. You eavesdrop on me. It's my job. I can't switch my ears off. I have to listen. That's how I know about the appointments. Vimes picked up the petty cash report and glanced at the messy columns of figures. He prided himself on what he had since infancy called sums. Yes, he knew he plodded a bit, but he got there in the end. You think you could do better, he said. Let me out and give me a pencil, said the imp. Vimes shrugged. It had been a strange day after all. He opened the little cage door. The imp was a very pale green and translucent, little more than a creature made out of coloured air, but it was able to grip the tiny pencil stub. It ran up and down the column of figures in the petty cash book, and, Vimes was pleased to hear, it muttered to itself. It's out by three dollars and five pence, it reported after a few seconds. That's fine, then, said Vimes. But the money is not accounted for. Oh, yes, it is, said Vimes. It was stolen by Nobby Nobs. It always is. He never steals more than four dollars fifty. Would you like me to make an appointment for a disciplinary meeting? said the imp, hopefully. Of course not. I'm signing it off now. Er, uh, thank you. Can you add up the other dockets? The imp beamed. Absolutely. Vimes left the imp scribbling happily and walked over to the window. They don't acknowledge our law and they undermine our city. That's not just a bunch of deep downers here to keep their fellow dwarfs on the straight seam. How far do those tunnels go? Dwarfs dig like crazy, but why here? What are they looking for? As sure as any hell you choose, there's no treasure trove under this city. No sleeping dragon, no secret kingdom. There's just water and mud and darkness. How far do they go? How much— Hold on. We know this, we know this, don't we? We know about numbers and figures in today's watch. Imp, he said, turning around. Yes, insert name here. You see that big pile of paper in the corner, said Vimes, pointing. Somewhere in there are the gate guard reports for the past six months. Can you compare them with last week's? Can you compare the number of dunny wagons leaving the city? Dunny wagon not found in root dictionary. Searching slang dictionary. Mip, mip, mip. Dunny wagon. N. Card for carrying night soil. See also honey wagon, treacle wagon, midnight special, gong wagon, and variants, said the imp. That's right, said Vimes, who hadn't heard the midnight special one before. Can you? Oh, yes, said the imp. Thank you for using the disorganizer Mark V, the gooseberry, the most advanced. Yet yeah, don't mention it. Just look at the ones for the Hubwards gate. That's closest to Treacle Street. Then I suggest you stand back, insert name here, said the imp. Why? The imp leapt into the pile. There was some rustling noises, a couple of mice scampered out, and the pile exploded. Vimes backed away hurriedly as papers fountained into the air, borne aloft on a very pale green cloud. Vimes had instigated record-keeping at the gates not because he had a huge interest in the results, but because it kept the lads on their toes. It wasn't as if it was security duty. Ankh-Morpork was so wide open it was gaping, but the cart census was handy. It stopped watchmen falling asleep at their posts, and it gave them an excuse to be nosy. You had to move soil, that was it. This was a city. If you were a long way from the river, the only way to do that was on a cart. Blast it, he thought. I should have asked the thing to see if there's been any increase in stone and timber loads, too. Once you've dug a hole in mud, you've got to keep it open. The circling, swooping papers snapped back into piles. The green haze shrank with a faint zip noise, and there was the little imp ready to burst with pride. An extra one point one dunny carts a night over six months ago, it announced. Thank you, insert name here. Cogito ergo sum, insert name here. I exist, therefore I do sums.
Right, yes, thank you, said Vimes. Hmm, a bit more than one cart a night. They held a couple of tons maximum. You couldn't make much of that. Maybe people living near that gate have been really ill lately. But what would he do in the dwarf's position? He damn well wouldn't send stuff out of the nearest gate, that's what. Ye gods, if they were tunnelling in enough places they could dump it anywhere. Imp, could you... Vimes paused. Look, don't you have some kind of a name? Name? Insert name here? said the imp, looking puzzled. Oh, no. I am created by the dozen insert name here. A name would be a bit stupid, really. I'll call you Gooseberry, then. So, Gooseberry, can you give me the same figures for every city gate, and also the numbers of timber and stone carts? It will take some time, insert name here, but yes, I should love to. And while you're about it, see if there were any reports of subsidence, walls falling down, houses cracking, that sort of thing. Certainly, insert name here. You can rely on me, insert name here. Snap to it, then. Yes, insert name here. Thank you, insert name here. I think much better outside the box, insert name here. Zip! The paper started to fly. Well, who'd have thought it, Vimes wondered. Maybe the damn thing could be useful after all. The speaking tube whistled. He unhooked it and said, Vimes. I've got the evening edition of the Times, sir, said the distant voice of Sergeant Littlebottom. She sounded worried. Fine, send it up. And there's a, a couple of people here who want to see you, sir. Now there was a guarded tone to her voice. And they can hear you, said Vimes. That's right, sir. Trolls. They insist on seeing you personally. They say they have a message for you. Do they look like trouble? Every inch, sir. I'm coming down. Vimes hung up the tube. Trolls with a message. It was unlikely to be an invitation to a literary lunch. Er, uh, Gooseberry, he said. Once again the faint green blur coalesced into the beaming imp. Found the figures, insert name here, just working on them, it said, and saluted. Good, but get back in the box, will you? We're going out. Certainly, insert name here. Thank you for choosing the... Vimes pushed the box into his pocket and went downstairs. The main office included not only the duty officer's desk, but also half a dozen smaller ones where watchmen sat when they had to do the really tricky parts of police work, like punctuating a sentence correctly. A lot of rooms and corridors opened into it. A useful result of all this was that any action there attracted a lot of attention very quickly. If the two trolls very conspicuously in the middle of the room had intended trouble, they'd picked a bad time. It was between shifts. Currently they were trying without success to swagger whilst standing still, watched with deep suspicion by seven or eight officers of various shapes. They'd brought it on themselves. They were bad trolls. At least they'd like everyone to think so. But they'd got it wrong. Vimes had seen bad trolls, and these didn't come close. They tried. Oh, they tried. Lycan covered their heads and shoulders. Clan graffiti adorned their bodies. One of them had even had his arm carved, which must have hurt for that stone-cool troll look. Since wearing the traditional belt of human or dwarf skulls would have resulted in the wearer's heels leaving a groove all the way to the nearest nick, and monkey skulls left the wearer liable to ambush by dwarfs with no grounding in forensic anthropology, these trolls... Vimes grinned. These boys had done the best they could with, oh dear, sheep and goat skulls. Well done, boys, that's really scary. It was depressing. The old-time bad trolls didn't bother with all that stuff. They just beat you over the head with your own arm until you got the message. Well, gentlemen, he said, I'm Vimes. The trolls exchanged glances through the mats of lichen, and one of them lost. Mid a chryso phrase, he wanna see you, said carved arm sulkily. Is that so, said Vimes. He wanna see you now, said the troll. Well, he knows where I live said Vimes. Yeah, he does. Three words, smacking into the silence like lead. It was the way the troll had said them, a suicidal kind of way. The silence was broken by the steely sounds of bolts being shot home, followed by a click. The trolls turned. Sergeant Detritus was taking the key out of the lock of the watchhouse's big, thick double doors. Then he turned around, and his heavy hands landed on the troll's shoulders. He sighed. Boys, he said, if there was a PhD in being thick, yous wouldn't be able to find a pencil. The troll who'd uttered the not-very-veiled threat then made another mistake. 
It must have been terror that moved his arms or dumb machismo. Surely no one with a functioning brain cell would have selected that moment to move their arms into what, for trolls, was the attack position. Detritus's fist moved in a blur, and the crack as it connected with the troll's skull made the furniture rattle. Vimes opened his mouth and shut it again. Trollish was a very physical language, and you had to respect cultural traditions, didn't you? It wasn't only dwarfs who were allowed to have them, was it? Besides, you couldn't crack a troll's skull even with a hammer and chisel. And he threatened your family, his hind brain added. He had it coming. There was a twinge of pain from the wound on his hand, echoed by the stab of a headache. Oh, hells, and Igor said the stuff would work. The stricken troll rocked for a second or two and then went over forwards in one rigid movement. Detritus walked across to Vimes, kicking the recumbent figure en passant. Sorry about that, sir, he said, and his hand clanged on his helmet as he saluted. They got no manners. All right, that's enough, said Vimes, and addressed the remaining, suddenly very alone, messenger. Why does Chrysophrase want to see me? He wouldn't tell the brothers Fick that, would he? said Detritus, grinning horribly at the troll. There was no swagger left now. All I know is, it's about the killing of the Horug, mumbled the troll, taking refuge in surliness. At the sound of the word, the eyes of every watching dwarf narrowed further. It was a very bad word. Oh, boy, oh, boy, oh, Detritus hesitated. Boy, said Vimes, out of the corner of his mouth. Boy, said Detritus triumphantly. You are making friends like nobody's business today. Where's the meeting? said Vimes. The pork futures warehouse, said the troll. You is to come alone. He paused, awareness of his position dawning on him, and added, If you don't mind. Go and tell your boss. I might choose to wander that way, will you? said Vimes. Now get out of here. Let him out, Sergeant. And take your rubbish home with you, Detritus roared. He slammed the doors behind the troll, bent under the weight of his fallen comrade. Okay, said Vimes, as tensions relaxed. You heard the troll. A good citizen wants to help the watch. I'll go and see what he's got to— His eye caught the front page of the Times spread out on the desk. Oh, hell, he thought wearily. There we are, at a time like this, with a troll officer holding a dwarf with his feet off the ground. It's a good picture of detritus, sir said Sergeant Littlebottom nervously. The long arm of the law, Vimes read aloud. Is that supposed to be funny? Probably it is to people who write headlines, said Cheery. Ham Crusher murdered, Vimes read. Watch investigating. Where do they get this? he said aloud. Who tells them? Pretty soon I'll have to read the Times to find out what I'm doing today. He flung the paper back on the desk. Anything important I need to know about right now? Sergeant Colon says there's been a robbery at the Royal... Cheery began, but Vimes waved that away. More important than robberies, I mean, he said. Eh, uh, another two officers have quit since I sent you that note, sir, said Cheery. Corporal Ringfounder and Constable Schist at Chitlin Street. Both say it's for, er, uh, personal reasons, sir. Schist was a good officer, Detritus rumbled, shaking his head. Sounds like he decided to be a good troll instead, said Vimes. He was aware of a stirring behind him. He still had an audience. Oh, well, time for the speech. I know it's hard for dwarf and troll officers right now, he said to the room at large. I know that giving one of your own kind a tap with your truncheon because he's trying to kick you in a fork might feel like you're siding with the enemy. It's no fun for humans either, but it's worse for you. The badge seems a bit heavy now, right? You see your people looking at you and wondering whose side you're on, yes? Well... You're on the side of the people, which is where the law ought to be. All the people, I mean, who are out there beyond the mob, who are fearful and puzzled and scared to go out at night. Now, funnily enough, the idiots who are out there right in front of you getting their self-defence in first are also the people. But since they don't seem to remember that, well, you're doing them a favour by cooling them off a bit. Hold on to that and hold together. You think that you should stay home to make sure your old mum is OK? What good would you be against a mob? Together we can stop things going that far. This'll go its course. I know we're all being run ragged, but right now I need everyone I can get, and in return there will be jam tomorrow and free beer too. Maybe I'll even be a little blind when I'm signing the overtime dockets, who knows? Got it? But I want you all, whatever, whoever you are, to know this. 
I've got no patience with idiots who'll drag a grudge across five hundred miles and a thousand years. This is Ankh-Morpork. It's not Coombe Valley. You know it's going to be a bad night tonight. Well, I'll be on duty. If you are too, then I'll want to know that I can depend on you to watch my back as I'll watch yours.'